0: Welcome to the other half of FIFO Life podcast. Join me on this awesome journey as we explore what FIFO Life looks like for the partners and families at home. In this positive space, no topics are off limits as we chat to experts in their field, as well as the average person living their best other half of FIFO Life. Hello,
1: everybody,
0: and welcome to another episode of the half of FIFO life. Welcome back to people that have listened to other episodes before. Today's um discussion is so valuable. Um I'm really glad that you're tuning in. Before we jump into that, I just wanted to highlight that if you are tuning into this um, podcast, you are more than likely a FIFO partner. So we welcome you to jump on Facebook and join Um, our support group, uh, Fly In, Fly Out, or FIFO, whatever people want to call it, Um, Mind and Body, Empowering Mums and Partners for Optimal Health and Happiness. Uh, This is a group that you can come on in. There's no selling in there. There is no marketing there. It is slightly different to other FIFO support groups um, in the fact of it's a really positive space with tools that you can use to make the most of this beautiful life that we've got. Also navigate some of those challenges that come with FIFO. I'm not going to list it because if you're listening to this, you know exactly what they are. So feel free to jump over to the Facebook page, FIFO Mind and Body, um, and jump in and say hello to everybody. I'm going to stop jabbering on because I really am excited about this chat today with Noling. Um, regarding sobriety, rural sobriety, but the information in this is applicable to anybody um, navigating their relationship with alcohol. It is also worth listening. If you feel, oh, this doesn't cover me, I'm, I'm all good with my relationship with alcohol, you may look at things differently by the end of it. But even if you don't, there is so much valuable information and um, concepts that Nolene discuss um, that we discuss in this podcast that may be applicable to your partner or your friends or just making space for you to be that little bit more aware of some of the limiting beliefs that we have in society around alcohol. It's enough for me now let's jump on over to this fantastic episode with Nolene. Enjoy. Hello everybody I am so excited about our chat today. And I know that a lot of people will get a lot out of this, whether it's for you, your friends, your partner, um, I'm very excited. So we're just gonna jump right in. Nolan, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and what you do?
1: Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me here today. I am uh, the rural Sobriety Coach. And this comes about because of my own lived experience with alcohol. So um, I'll just tell you a little bit about my background because that will actually frame uh, this whole conversation, I suppose, because I have that lived experience with alcohol. I've had that problematic relationship. Um, I've tried every trick in the book, I suppose, over the years to to, uh, stop drinking, cut down, all of those sorts of things. And as a result of my own journey... I now help other people, just like just like myself, who live in rural and remote Australia, because that's that's my heart, that's what I know, that's what I love. I help those people um, either you know cut down or quit drinking. So Wonderful. that's that's what Yay. I'm doing now. So as a result of my journey, yeah. you know, it's the silver lining that's come out yeah. of it. So, yeah. so so to start, I suppose, Natalie, um, you know. My childhood wasn't one where there was a lot of alcohol around. It was typically Australian. I grew up on a farm, a sheep farm in Tassie. Um, my mum has never drunk. I don't ever remember a time where I saw mum with alcohol in her hand at all. Oh, um, that's interesting. But my, my dad does, you know, my extended family do, but it was never a problem. It was never excessive. But, you know, we had a beer fridge just like every other family in Australia, I think. Yeah. And so I grew up in a house where people would come to the house, the beer fridge would open. Yeah. If you wanted to relax, the beer fridge was would open. But it, what, I never grew up thinking that it was problematic. Looking yeah. back now, I see it very, very differently. Well, I'm, I, I see it I'm more aware of the messaging that comes around that. And I know you and I are going to talk about that a little bit later. But my own journey, I suppose, um, has been one of loss. and it all started in um, the last year of high school uh, when my boyfriend was killed in a car accident. And um, that was the first major loss in my life. And back then we didn't have the advantage of counsellors or psychologists or people to talk to it was basically just a kick in the pants get on with it you know you'll be all right get on with your life um sort of thing and i don't think I ever ever dealt with that loss well mm. so that was my first sort of uh loss i suppose and then moving forward um my life became a series of losses um i moved to melbourne and uh, had a very serious relationship there after six years I lost that relationship then went overseas like good old you know all good Aussies did back then with a backpack and a two-year working visa off I went to London and um, lived there with some friends and at the end of that time I met my um, you know now ex-husband and the father of my children when I was on holiday in Greece and uh, (laughs) moved moved to Ireland and so yeah it was beautiful actually it was a it was a really really lovely time moved to Ireland where he lived in a small rural community and we um he had a haulage and storage business we ran that for very many quite a few years um and then we lost that you know our um our major client was owned 51 percent by the Irish government and they put uh, oh, yeah. our major client into liquidation. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty huge at the time. It was the biggest liquidation in the history of the state of Ireland at the time. Uh, there's been a bigger one since. But, you know, 650 people did job that day. And we lost our house, our land, our business. Um, um, my father-in-law died and then our dog died not long after that. And... Um, we pretty much lost everything, and my children were one, two, and three at the time. So they were babies, and it was a very, very difficult time for both of us in our marriage and us as a family. But for me as a mum, not to be able to know where the next meal was coming from, did I have a roof over my head for my babies, was really, really difficult. And it was a very significant in my life. So going back to you know my teenage years where um, the, the first major loss in my life that I didn't deal with properly, when it came to these huge losses, again, I was in my business, everything else. I didn't have the skills to, to deal with those losses. And somewhere along the way, in amongst all of this, alcohol became my painkiller, my sedative. I can't say it happened on day this time. It snuck into my life and before I knew it, I had a very problematic relationship with alcohol. I was literally used to, it to cool the pain. And that's how my life continued um, for, you know, I'll say 20 years, but if I'm really honest, probably nearly 30 years.
0: Yeah. And the... The uh, what I find really interesting is the um, connection you make from understanding that there was an emotional reason why alcohol like there was beliefs there around alcohol which as you said we'll Mm. touch on but then you so clearly make the connection of the emotional trauma and not having the coping strategies and then alcohol being the the numbing the the pain relief and it's that I think a lot of people can relate to but this is um and you touched on it is that it is almost normalized in, in Australia, and I, I don't want to sort of chuck a blanket over Australia because I think there is a big shift away from, you know, towards health, understanding that, you know, alcohol doesn't fix everything, but there is still a lot of those limiting beliefs in Australia about it that, you know, oh, you'll be right, have a drink, you know, the, at funerals, at, at weddings, that we're sort of turning to alcohol. So it's not really surprising when lots of people like yourself have those emotional tra- traumas and then are using alcohol to help numb that when you don't have other tools on the on the positive side how long have you been mm-hmm. sober
1: uh, three years. Yes. Three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It, look, I can't, I cannot begin to tell you how much my life has changed for the better, in big ways and little ways, and I appreciate every single moment now, um, and that's why I've dedicated my life now to helping other people just like me yeah. um, live their best life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that saying gets thrown around, but it sometimes is absolutely so true. Because you were living before, but it wasn't your best life, was it? You you know, and now, as you said, Uh, having those coping
1: was it it even a life? Yeah, you know, I I don't. Looking back now, it wasn't. It was survival. It was you know, for a very long time, um, I was literally just surviving because alcohol alcohol is uh, a numbing agent. Mm-hmm. So not only yeah. was it numbing the bad, but it was numbing the good. The
0: good, yeah,
1: yeah. That's so yeah, I didn't experience really the. I didn't experience the 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 joys. Obviously, there were happy moments along the way. My life hasn't been all roses, but it hasn't been all thorns either. Yeah. So, but but the but the highs, the happy highs, the good times. A lot of those times, I don't remember yeah um, because I had been drinking or I was hung over. Yeah. Now, Natalie, one thing I might say here, I wasn't a you know i i I was drinking between one and two bottles of wine, but every day. but I was yeah. still functioning as a mum. I was still on the school committee. I was still you know um looking after my children, cooking good meals. i was I was showing up for work every day. I was doing all the things. Yeah. that made me appear on the outside that life was rosy, everything was okay, but on the inside, you know, I was in real, real trouble and I was numbing my emotions. So I think it's really important just to stress that, um, you know, I I didn't have a rock bottom. Yeah. I wasn't a down and out, um, you know, some, somebody who had lost absolutely everything on the outside i was just like everybody else yes that
0: this is um really as you i just want to touch on because I had a question coming into this that i wanted to really get across to the listeners because i think that a lot of people will relate to you more than they probably thought when they saw the headline of the podcast and I, just as you say, I know people that fit that same description, what you said, drinking one to two bottles, still functioning. I just wanted to ask you some personal questions about your journey in regards to um, what was people's response? Because if you were taking heroin and, and you said, okay, enough, I'm going and there's lots of people that take drugs that function well but in society if someone put their hand up and said I'm taking these drugs I need to come off everyone's like yeah definitely how did you in the early days when you sort of put your hand up and you may have done it openly and you may not have and said Mm -hmm. okay this this is not healthy did you have a lot of people that that said, oh, no, you're fine, or try to encourage you to have a drink because society accepts alcohol as part of our life? Was that something that you had to navigate in those early stages?
1: In the early stages, no, I didn't navigate it because this was a purely um, personal journey for me. I was living in the Kimberley at the time where where drinking is just part of every. St- part of life so now I didn't navigate it because I pulled back in for three Mm, months I didn't go out I didn't do anything I literally treated my sobriety and my journey to sobriety like a full-time job so Mm -hmm. I just pulled right back in because I knew that I would be um, subjected to um, judgment stigma questions all the things that I really didn't want to have to front at that time because alcohol is the only drug that you have to justify not taking
0: yeah
1: I'll go on what's wrong with you are oh, you weak yeah. nobody trusts a yeah. man who doesn't have a beer all of these things particularly in rural and remote areas mm-hmm. um it, it's just part of who we are as a culture for some reason we have put alcohol on this incredible pedestal and it's it's so ingrained in our lives that when you stop to question your own relationship with alcohol and then do something about it you really are you really are going against the norm Yeah. so it's not an easy journey to do but gee it's possible you just need to have the right toolbox and the right you know, the, the, the right things in your toolbox to be able to do it, yeah. which is where I come in now because yeah. I had to build my own toolbox right from the start. Because when I gave up drinking, I could not find anybody, any program anywhere that related to me as a rural Australian who lived mm-hmm. remotely, who understood that I didn't have a psychologist on the corner and a, and a gym and a yoga class and next door. Yeah. It, there was nothing we- there.
0: Which if you're listening, don't worry, we are going to touch on all of these things so that you finish this (laughs) podcast in if it relates to you or someone around you that you can be like, yes, but I've got a couple Mm. of more questions if it's all right. in the process of when you came out of those sort of first sort of three months of pulling back, did you have, did you lose friends? Did you gain friends? I've lived in the Kimberley um, myself for five years. And you know, I, I will share a little bit of my experience, but um mm. how did you go once you sort of came outside of that?
1: It was fine actually, because even though I'd pulled back in, um I was working in allied health at the time. So it was very easy for me to, uh, I was in an environment where there wasn't a lot of drinking anyway because we were all working in that environment. Yeah. Um. So I was able to frame my own uh, journey to sobriety in the context of health.
0: Uh, of course, yeah.
1: It was Weird. very easy for me to do that. Which is probably um, some
0: of the tactics and that that people can use now that probably couldn't have used 10 years ago, 20 years ago. They, it, 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 I think that, I mean, and I'm in the physical and mental health space. So, you know, sometimes I can be in my own bubble and surround myself with people that think alike. But I do think there has been an overall shift around health and it being okay to start to make those shifts. Having said that, there is certainly still pockets in rural communities and, and in the city too. I I'm not taking away from that, but obviously we we're more connecting with um, rural yes. and FIFO, where there is still that strong culture and it takes a lot of strength to actually sort of step up and say, actually, this is what I'm I'm doing. Um I did what did you find La Now I know this is completely unique to each person, each person person's journey but i would love to hear what what and we'll talk about the positives as as well in a minute but i would love to hear what some of you what you found um most difficult and what your tips would be around um some of the challenges that you had
1: are are you asking about my actual um your your journey from um when i was giving uh, up yes yes gosh i think um I, I think one of the hardest things to deal with personally was my emotions. Because yes. alcohol is a numbing agent, I had numbed all the hurt, all the pain, all the trauma, all the loss, all every emotion was numbed down. So when I stopped drinking, and it did take a little while, it doesn't happen on day one or day two, you know, after after a few weeks, I started to feel again, and that was the really really hard part for me. And but that's the journey. That's the work that you do when you make such a life changing shift to stop drinking alcohol. Um, if you know, if you if you have been drinking for a while, that's when the emotions start to come up, and that's when it's really really important to have a toolbox with tools in it. You know, of things that you can do, whether it's men, uh, supporting you uh, mentally and physically, emotionally, um, having support systems around you is so very important because emotions will start to come up. And you touched on thoughts and beliefs earlier, Natalie. I had to deal with my my childhood beliefs about the the beer mm-hmm. fridge coming open when when people people showed up when people came over. Um, that was just one belief um yeah. li- living, living in the Kimberley um you know I, I stopped going to Cable Beach for sunsets mm. because <laughs> I I'm hearing you that,
0: I'm, I'm fully respecting where you're at in that space it, it,
1: yeah for months I didn't see a sunset from Cable Beach because I just wasn't going there because it was all about the booze on the beach
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting you talking about not being able to see the sunsets on Cable Beach because I can really relate. I started my FIFO journey when we were living in Broome and at that time we didn't have kids. My husband and I both had um, worked FIFO. I had come from tourism that's what I was studying before I went into mining. And so tourism, hospitality, like, you know, I don't have to explain to most people the relationship yeah. with alcohol there. Um, and I would say for me, I I would say I'd had a very typical relationship with alcohol. I would never say that it was, with, without looking into it, I would say that I didn't have a poor relationship with alcohol, having said that i see the patterns of you know you fly out from work on your r&r you yeah. have a drink because it's like having a holiday well that's every 2 3 weeks um the yeah you go down to a beautiful sunset and there is an expectation that you've got a drink in your hand and and all that language that also goes with it that you say like oh what's wrong with you not having a drink um definitely that was a time in my life where I probably drank the most amount of alcohol mm-hmm. and definitely within mining it was the same thing. I worked construction where we were three weeks on and one week off, we would have RDOs, everybody drunk. It was not a, a question yeah. and if someone chose not to, they didn't come to the celebrations. Like if there was some reason someone wasn't drinking, well, you didn't socialise. So it was kind of, you know, if you socialise then you must drink. Um, and a lot of that um, was normal, and I suppose yeah. what I'm hoping that people can get out of listening to this is to redefine what your normal is and make sure that that is a a relationship that works well for you and works for you. Because I think quite often we don't challenge it. Like mm. you know, I never, I never challenged that. Um, relationship with alcohol until I personally made the shift into more a healthy um, lifestyle and then for me I rarely drink now I still do have a beverage every now and then but for me it was about well, what is same thing I don't want to be hung over what's it doing to my body mm. what am I missing out on yeah. and I can a hundred percent see when there is a um A reason why somebody wants to numb and that can be because you're um busy running around with the kids and you and Mm. you want to relax that society says that a glass of wine will do that for you instead of exploring some possible definitely healthier options but I just wanted to sort of ask you about um people looking at and defining what their relationship with alcohol is and um Finding whether that works for them or not is that something when you're working with clients that, and I understand for a lot of people if they have a poor relationship with alcohol, they need to, they may choose to have no relationship with alcohol. But Mm -hmm. how is that to navigate for you, and what's your advice for people to sort of go on their journey around their own relationship with alcohol?
1: Gosh, there's so much to unpack in that. (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so I, I suppose one of the things I probably should mention is I have also been that and am that FIFO partner at home as well so I can relate no, to yes. what you're talking about <laughs> you know because my, my partner's in mining as well which is what what took us to to, to broom and to just your way so you know I'm coming at this uh, conversation today Natalie from all different directions so I think what what defines a poor relationship with alcohol it is a very very personal thing and I think you know, labelling is really quite damaging because often people will say, i say, um, you know, um, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, I can give up for the weekend, so I can't be an alcoholic. But they might be drinking five days a week, two bottles of wine a day or a carton of beer or whatever it might be. Having a problematic relationship with alcohol is literally a scale. And it starts with somebody who has a glass of sherry at a wedding or somebody who gets to the point where they're over drinking to, you know, where they, where they actually need um, uh, medical detox and medical support to be able to give up alcohol. But in between, I mean, there's a term now called the gray area drinking Um, and everybody who drinks alcohol will fall on that scale somewhere between the sherry and between between the rehab so all of us um, will it's a very personal thing as to where you fall on that scale so there are things that i think it's really important to ask yourself um, about you know where you sit on that scale first of all are you asking yourself the question am i drinking too much if you're asking yourself that question if you are questioning Your relationship with alcohol you are drinking too much you do need to investigate what's going on if it's even crossing your mind would i be better off if i didn't have this this extra glass of wine am i going to feel pretty crappy in the morning with the kids waking me up if i finish this bottle tonight if you're asking yourself those questions then it is time for you to really start taking a look at how alcohol is showing up in your life um, you don't have to have a rock bottom to reach out and ask for help, because as i as I told you, you know I was living a normal life. There were people in my life who did not even know that I had a a problem with alcohol because I was able to hide it so well. And often people that do overdrink do do hide their drinking problem behind closed doors um, or drinking at home or within the mummy wine culture
0: yeah I think that's that's fantastic that you have actually highlighted that it's not necessarily the friend at the party that gets all sloppy and makes a mess of themselves Mm. it can be as you said the the mum at home that consumes two bottles of alcohol and that it's and, and and that's how that's affecting their life in the morning, how they feel, what that actually physically does to the body. Um, mm. That's fantastic because I think once again there is almost a, a pat on the back. You know, oh, you finished a bottle of the you, wine. Well yeah. done. But nobody'd say that if you just like shot you know drugs into your arm nobody's going oh well done like so there's a real (laughs) limiting belief around it and then trying to define as you said if you're asking the question then the answer is you 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 are drinking too much or you have a poor relationship with alcohol if you have to question it in any way um yeah
1: can Sorry. I just say there, though, that it doesn't have to be two bottles of wine a day. It could just be a glass of wine at the end of the day. Oh, the kids have annoyed me today. I so deserve a glass of wine. Kids are in bed. Thank goodness for that. Putting my feet up. I can just, when you start to drink for a reason, and it doesn't matter what that reason is. For me, it was loss and heartache. For some people, it's trauma. For other people, it's because it makes them um, more outgoing. Drinking to cope, drinking to relax—these are all the beliefs that we have as a society. That alcohol, we need alcohol for a reason. So, if there is a reason that you're drinking, doesn't matter what it is, that is when you need to step back and go, oh, maybe I need to take a closer look at this.
0: That's fantastic. That's actually what I was going to tie into, which I certainly have the conversation with clients, not in the same framework. Like I, you, I really think that anybody if this is resonating go and get the support from somebody that truly understands the journey and is going to guide you in the right way but I certainly in with hypnotherapy clients and even personal training clients is if you are having a glass of wine to release stress that then that's not the right thing for you if you're having a glass of wine Mm -hmm. because you really enjoy the flavours of it like you would a, a juice or, or or whatever it may be well then then that's that's a healthier way to have a glass of wine but if you are using it to numb something to because you don't want to deal with that stress or you don't want to deal with that pain or you or or um the only way that you can relax is with a glass of wine is that sort of where i Um, definitely had those conversations with clients and like I said it's a very different um space from from the Mm. the clients that would work with you that would sort of come to me when we're talking about just pure health factor is if we are stressed then then we need to meditate we need to go for a walk we need to create healthier habits we maybe need to exercise like all of these things it, it should never be met with a glass of alcohol and that's Mm. sort of the space that I see in in almost all of my clients and I know that's a real broad but that is a reflection I think of of the society relationship with alcohol and what you're highlighting that it doesn't have to be like that it shouldn't have to be like that
1: it shouldn't have to be and a lot of the work I do is on, on the beliefs around alcohol. And you touch there on the taste of alcohol. Um, I drink wine because I like it. You know, we hear that all the time. I, I, I prefer this beer over that beer. Now, I, I drank white wine, for example, and I used to tell myself all the time that I love the taste of a good Sade Blanc. But I would put soda water in it for goodness' sakes, to water it down, um, but I still managed to drink, you know, a, a, a lot of a lot of wine, even with it watered watered down. But when you stop to think about it, you know, just that statement, "I like the taste of alcohol." Nobody likes the taste of pure alcohol. The chemical composition of alcohol is the same as the chemical composition of what we put into our fuel tank in our car. You know, there is a reason why we put additives into it why it is flavored and that that is because it tastes so damn revolting that you would just throw it up you wouldn't you wouldn't taste it so you wouldn't drink it so when we start to really drill down into that belief of you know I like the taste of alcohol it's not the taste of alcohol that we like it's the additive it's the juice it's the hops it's every whatever else goes into into your glass that's what you like not the taste of alcohol yet we tell ourselves i like the taste of alcohol no you don't you like the taste absolutely of what's absolutely
0: love that thank you thank you for picking up on those words because that and listening to what you were saying and even listening to um listening to my own beliefs was really interesting as you were talking because 100% like alcohol Mm -hmm. itself like if we went okay everybody in this room likes a taste of alcohol here's a shot of straight alcohol nobody would go oh yes that was brilliant I absolutely loved it but it is I think and I was listening to my own um beliefs and this is what we'll go into a bit more that I want to talk to you about that we get Mm -hmm. from when we're quite young is that Going out to dinner and having a glass of wine and I go, oh, I really like, you know, I grew up in um, Coonawarra down in in the southeast, like we're known for our full body bread. Beautiful.
1: Wine country. And so
0: wine country. Yeah. And I live in the Adelaide Hills. Um, (laughs) So I listening to me, to my belief of, I like the taste of alcohol and then listening to my thoughts and going well hang on a minute you're absolutely right I don't mm-hmm. like the taste of alcohol so what is that glass of red with a steak serving me and I can see those patterns those beliefs from even when I was younger going oh you know it, uh, something that adults do to sit down and have a beautiful, you know, steak. I grew up on the farm as well, grew up in the country, and a a, a glass of red. And that it's more the emotional, um, absolutely feelings that go with it, and then the beliefs around the enjoyment, and those that um can't see. I'm putting that in brackets. The enjoyment of having a full-bodied red is all actually beliefs that have been formed around my upbringing not necessarily because as you said like if if you have ever had a shot of something at whatever time of night nobody's going up there going oh I would love a shot we're putting all sorts of things in it as you said additives to make it taste nice and so actually challenging your thoughts on that and it's yes. also interesting for me because as I'm stepping have over the last sort of six years stepped back from alcohol I'll quite often have a soda water. And I know for somebody that likes to sit down and have a really lovely meal with a glass of red, will be like, oh, I can't have a soda water. But understand exactly what you just said. They are actually limiting beliefs that you need this if you have this. Mm. So mm-hmm. thank you because this is the whole point in what we're trying to say. These are limiting beliefs. They're not facts. And I want to. That's exactly
1: t- it. <laughs> and we I just t- have to have the courage. Sorry, Natalie. We just have to no, have the courage right. to go against. Our culture, our upbringing, what we know, what we're taught, what we see every single day by big alcohol and their marketing, Mm. we need to go against that and have the courage to question our beliefs around around every part of alcohol. Yeah, and
0: I think this topic leads perfectly into a question I wanted to ask you. If you if you are listening to this and you have young children and you know we i didn't i didn't want to connect um and create this podcast to make anyone feel bad i wanted to give Absolutely a platform not. so that we can explore and discuss and find out what's right for you but if you are listening to this and you do think you have some habits that aren't serving you well and maybe your partner comes home Um, from work and and likes to have a drink and, and, you know, the kids are exposed to this, I'd really like to discuss some of those limiting beliefs because with clients that I see that have um, different reasons that they come to me as adults, quite often they stem back to a belief that was formed when they were, you know, 15 or under or 13 and under. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the beliefs that we are possibly creating for our children And as you touched on, it's fine. Well, I'm listening to my own words. Um, There's not a problem until there's a problem. You grew up around it and your parents wouldn't have thought they were doing anything, once again, in brackets, wrong. But when you had had trauma in your life, those beliefs were then a tool you used to numb. So, can you talk to me a little bit about some of the beliefs that you find that people have gained when they were younger and what type of language we could be using with kids around alcohol, which I think we have we have touched on a lot anyway, but I want to throw it over yeah. to you to, to share from your experience.
1: Well, I think, um, first of all, there are different, you know, it, it really depends on the age of the child, um, you know, I know you have got you've got young children, and that is a different you know that's a different kettle of fish to teenagers, for example, where they're starting to explore their own relationship with alcohol. So I'll leave that for a minute and just come back to to uh, when kids are particularly young. I think it is really, really great to have conversations um you know as as adults we need to have the conversations around how we are presenting alcohol to our kids and i was one of those people um not when not when my kids were really little they're in their early 20s now so you know it wasn't 20 years ago but now you know i i see like little little onesie type things with wine means on them hello don't do that you know the, the the mummy wine culture of sharing, and and that's a, a term that I use rather you know again in inverted commas. Um, this this propensity to actually glorify the mummy wine culture. I drink because I have children. Yeah. Those sorts of things. That is what children are hearing. That is what children are seeing. They are then. You know, that 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 one I see often, you know, I drink because I have children. What is that saying to the child? Yeah. Mummy's getting sloshed because because she's got me. It's not a good message. Right. And the
0: other thing that I think is is the and this is coming from more the um health and wellness space, which I know definitely <laughs> overlaps um with how you support oh, your clients, so. but is that By saying that you turn to alcohol to cope with stress or cope, you know, to unwind is then also not teaching the kids how we actually deal with that properly. Because as you said, in your own personal journey, you you hadn't had exposure to the to the best way of dealing with your trauma but like I said it could be stress it could be the best way to celebrate the best way to commiserate in our culture it is so much around alcohol and actually creating and showing your children how to deal with these things in a healthy way Mum stress so way. she's going to go for a walk Mum stress so she's going to have a bath Mum's stress, so she's mm. gonna put on some music on all these other things before mum stress, so she's gonna have a glass of wine. And I and I know and um this will lead into the resources and strategies that um you use quite often with clients. Can you mm. explain to um us a little bit about some of the resources strategies and then even where people can connect? with you and um, reach out if some of this is resonating with them
1: okay so I first I think the first thing that I want to say there about when I'm working with clients I I come from a very very positive approach now I um, I, I trained as a sobriety coach uh, through this naked mind and some of your readers may have come come across that but our approach comes from uh, it's science-based but it's also comp- compassion led so it is it is not a big stick approach it's very much a carrot approach it's very much an educational approach so when i'm working with with clients first of all um, somebody may come come to me and i often will not even ask them to to stop drinking you know while they're working with me obviously when i'm talking to them i won't talk to anybody if they're if they're drinking at that actual time but many of my clients will come to me and they will still be drinking and we will, we will go through the limiting beliefs and we'll go through the education about alcohol, um, what our limiting beliefs are, um, what alcohol actually is, what it does to the body, what it does to our emotions, how it affects um, the hormones in our body and neurotransmitters, where it's, you know, what um, uh, conscious beliefs we have, unconscious or subconscious beliefs that we have around alcohol. We'll do all of that work before somebody even puts down their drink and when it comes to putting down the 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 drink it often just happens naturally because you don't you don't actually um I, i don't believe in a big stick stick approach it's about just not wanting to drink again like i'm three years now without having had alcohol um I don't want alcohol. I don't need alcohol. I no more want a glass of alcohol now than I than I want to go and get petrol out of the car and drink it. I just don't have any need for it. I am not anti-alcohol. Uh, my partner does still drink. Um, he has never been a big drinker. Um, but he, I mean, I'm sure there's wine in the cupboard if I went and looked for it. It just doesn't occur to me to even think about it. And, you know, um, I've experienced... Um, just, just recently, um, you know, another loss in my life. And uh, a fellow um, coach said to me a few days afterwards, I have to ask Norlene, did you, you know, did you think about having a glass of wine? And I just went, well, oh, no, it just did not even occur to me. And I was shocked when she asked me that question. And that's the approach that I take with my clients is just to, to educate them about the actual facts of alcohol the next step after that is we, we talk about the emotion. So we start to dig into why somebody's drinking and those beliefs. I like the taste. It makes me relax. I deserve it. Um, we. I always have a glass of wine at the end of the day. Um, It's what my family have always done. It's Christmas time, I need a drink. It's sunset on Cable Beach, so I have to take a bottle of wine with me. All these limiting beliefs. And we start to unpack them one by one so that you actually start to think about them differently. And when you change your thoughts and you change your belief, that is when it is much easier to change your behavior. So it's actually quite a simple approach. Starts with the science, then how we feel about it, and then we take the action. Quite a simple approach, but it is a, it, it is work. It yeah. is work.
0: And and the really interesting thing, and this is is what I see the big shift is when you shift those beliefs. You, you aren't turning to whatever that is. And for my clients, not so much alcohol. I haven't worked with a lot of people. But when you shift a belief, whether it be cigarettes, whether it be an un, an unhealthy habit, when you shift the beliefs around it, it's no longer that belief then creating a pattern of behavior because you don't have it anymore. And it's yeah. really interesting, like you're saying, you're doing all that work to shift what creates that habit so then when they choose to stop it's not actually difficult because a lot of people and i see this all the time with people that are quitting cigarettes they they're thinking what they have to do first is stop smoking and then they they're working against themselves so desperately what is as you said neuropathways which is you know, their beliefs, their habits, um, all the things going on, they then have to battle all of that. Whereas as you're saying, you're saying we work on all of this, so then you don't have a battle to actually stop because that isn't there as much. That's, yeah, fantastic. We have chatted a lot about sort of the strategies of how when someone's working with you a really good way to make it organic and make it a comfortable place, connect with you who actually understands the the reality of, of what mm-hmm. this means to your life and what it's like to go through. So can you um, give us some, what you put in that toolbox and, and where people can actually start to make that um, momentum or create that momentum and start to make that
1: change? Of course. Now, Natalie, when I talk about a a toolbox, I am just literally talking about everything that you need to live your best life, whether or not you choose to continue drinking alcohol or not. So I believe that it is incredibly important, first of all, to have a structured program or a plan. And it comes back to what we were just talking about um, in terms of, um, dealing with the thoughts and beliefs first, and then the behaviour. It's really important to have somebody who understands what it's like to have a problematic relation, a, a problematic relationship with alcohol. So often, people uh, quit drinking. They'll do a thirty day challenge, or a dry July, or a, a Feb, fast, whatever, sober October. One of these programs without support. So come, you know, first of August man, I can have a drink and they just hit it hard again because they haven't actually done the work around the thoughts and the beliefs. They have just changed the behaviour. So I think it's really, really important to have a structured programme. I don't care what that programme is. There are plenty of programmes out there that you can do. I happen to be a coach because I have lived experience. I know what it takes as a person who has lived in rural and remote Australia um, I know what it takes to, to do this. It is so difficult to find resources in the rural space. So one of the things I'd put into Your Toolbox Straight Away is a structured program. Now, I the second thing would be a community. Now, I work alongside um, Shanna Wan at Sober in the Country and wholeheartedly support her OK to Say No campaign, which I've no doubt, you know, everybody's heard of by now. Um, I believe it is really important to be inclusive when we are around alcohol now that could be you know a brunch with the mums from school a barbecue when hubby comes home and everybody comes in if you're serving alcohol please just serve something else soda water i love as you say but please don't expect that non-drinkers will want to have warm orange juice and flat lemonade Um, we are adults We are grown up. I actually remember going to a place in the Kimberley and asked if I could have um, something soft. I was offered a glass of water, and it came in a plastic cup. Yeah, and I so making that
0: space really isn't it?
1: Making it inclusive, yeah. You know, and I think that's that's the message that the "Okay to Say No" campaign from Sobering the Country has that it needs to be inclusive. And that's how we're going to change our culture here in Australia. Part of um, giving up drinking is having good peer support around you, somebody who understands what you're going through, the day-to-day struggles. It's really important to join a community and part as part of Sober in the Country, there is the Bush Tribe that you can subscribe to, or sorry, apply to, to join. Um, you know, there are people from all walks of life in that, but they all have one thing in common, and that is that they are all remote-based um, and they have a desire to, to cut down or drink less or cut out alcohol. Um, so that is really important as well. Um, and the third thing that needs to go into your toolbox is all the other stuff. It is the... Um, the good nutrition, the exercise, the emotional support, the, um, the strategies that you have, like taking a bath around five o'clock at night, depending on what time your kids go to bed, you know, those, those risky times of the day, having something else to do then. Um, so that is the third part of the toolbox. And that is a never ending um, process. Even for me now, a few years into being sober, Um, i'm always pulling pulling strategies out of my toolbox even now not around not drinking but about building my best best life and doing everything that i can to nurture me physically emotionally mentally spiritually whatever it takes put podcasts in there books people like yourselves and myself have a good structured program a community and a well-stocked toolbox and that is how you can change your relationship with alcohol. That's a good strategy just for life in general.
0: That's amazing. I was going to ask what your general advice is, but I think, honestly, like you have um, put it in such a, an, a um, what's the right word? You've put it in such a relatable um, package for people. And as you said, it's not this, you know you're an alcoholic you're not an alcoholic there is that gray space mm. find out you know if you're asking those questions see where you sit and and if you want to change your relationship with with alcohol that as you said that toolbox and creating that toolbox and and it, it is something that you can continually add to Um, because, you know, we're talking about, and, you know, I tend to talk to a lot of people that at my stage in life with young kids, but as you grow and you evolve the, you know, whether you at home with kids and you're in that space, how you navigate that, then how you navigate that. If you go back to full-time work, how your partner navigates that on site, Mm. Because you might be, you know, one of our listeners might be supporting their partner and how they can create and use that toolbox on site. And, you know, what resources are there? Use those all around you and create that community. It's such an achievable place to start from. Like if you're listening to this podcast that you can actually start to take away. And I will put all your links in the show notes. So if anybody is listening to this and wants to know a little bit more or start to create that community Nolene has a fantastic um facebook page where you can just have those things sort of popping up and keeping that consistency because i think for a lot of us we can watch a show or listen to a podcast and go yes that's that's me or yes i want to make those changes and then and then life happens and by oh, creating totally. that And by creating that community around you, like you said, it it keeps that momentum, it creates that space for you to make those changes. This has just been so fantastic. Thank you so much. (laughs) Is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up?
1: There are a couple of things. Um, First of all, I would say that one of the things that I was told when I first started trying to give up drinking was get yourself a toolbox. And I was like, how on earth do I do that? So I actually have a toolbox that I've put together as a freebie on my website. And it's, you know, and I'm continually adding stuff to it because one of the things that happens if you've got a problematic relationship with alcohol is one, you forget two, you get busy um, and three, you, you just get overwhelmed with all these things that get thrown at you. So um, it's, it's a freebie. It's uh, You just sign up. You go into um, it's set up in sort of like a course structure. I've got videos in there of me um, coaching you through different um Things like going, what to do when you're going out, what to say if a friend offers you a drink, etc. I've got podcast lists in there that I recommend, books that I recommend, playlists that I like um, that are uplifting and motivational. So there is that, and the link to that is on my is on my website. And the other thing I might say is that the one thing that we need to remember, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm ne- ending on a bit of a negative Nelly note here, but the one thing that we need to remember is alcohol is a dangerous substance and it's one of the few things that can kill you when you're drinking and it's one of the few things that can kill you when you're not when you when you give it up if you don't do it well so I actually work alongside Clean Slate Clinic which is an incredible resource for those of us that live remotely or um, in the rural space here in Australia where you can actually be assessed and go through a medically supervised detox in your own home. So if you are drinking at a level that is um, dangerous, and I, I would always recommend that, uh, you know, before, if you are drinking um, um, at dangerous levels or, or substantial levels, you check in with your GP first of all. If you're in that category, we have that amazing resource at the Clean Slate Clinic, and I can put you in touch with the good folks there. They're beautiful people. Um, I know many people now who have gone through their program, which is the medically supervised detox, and then you can flip over to somebody like me, and we get cracking on the the thoughts and the beliefs and the behaviour. So it's a one-stop shop. If I can't help you myself, I know where to send you to get that help.
0: Thank you so much. And I don't think that you're ending on a negative. I think you're saying that here are all the resources. Here is some amazing people that can really help make these positive changes. And unfortunately, when we are talking about a poor relationship with alcohol, there are some negatives with it. But what you're saying is that there is such a community that is here to help you. So it doesn't have to be a negative in your life anymore. And that, I think, is a positive. So thank you so, so much. I really appreciate your time. Um, I definitely recommend that people at least jump over, even if this isn't you or your husband, that you mm-hmm. jump over and that you follow, um, Nolene, because As I said before, I think that even if it's not you personally or your partner, this is a culture that we live in and that we can be all a part of changing that. And certainly, as we talked about kids, that we start to change some of our own language, even if it hasn't shifted into being a really negative thing. A lot of us still have language Mm -hmm. and beliefs that are um, not necessarily what we want to pass over to the next generation. Or we also want to be creating that space, like you said, at gathering to actually think about people that choose not to drink and, and mm. be part of that change. Thank you yeah. so much. It has been so fantastic.
1: Oh, look, Natalie, thank you so much. I really i am so passionate about what I do and passionate about helping people. This journey does not have to be hard. It does not have to be hard. You, you know, you're not alone. There are so many of us have been there, um, you know, before, So thank you. Thank you so much for helping me get the message out there.